this is Joe and TJ with another episode of our One Thing series. Our desire is that our One Thing series truly helps you to lead better and grow faster. Every month on our podcast, we feature a great guest always on the topic of leadership, and we blast it out to you from the schoolhouse302.com. Thank you, TJ. Please share this with other leaders you know that are looking and craving to get better. Thank you. So here we are with our guest, Bob Berg. Thank you for being here, Bob. We are truly appreciative to have you on the show. Uh, Dr. Jones, Dr. Vary, I just am very grateful to be with you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. This month, we are focused on how to be your best self in life and work. And so we're very excited to have you on the podcast, mainly because we want to take a deep dive into how to do that. This whole notion of your best self, your best life, work, diving into leadership, diving into influence, and how to get more out of yourself. Your work speaks to us truly in education, um, you know, not only from um, the Go-Giver, but the teacher's guide to the Go-Giver, um, which we're very grateful for. So, TJ, why don't you tell our audience a bit more about Bob? Sure thing, Joe. Our guest this month is Bob Berg. Bob Berg is a sought-after speaker at tons of leadership and sales conferences, sharing the stage with everyone from today's business leaders and broadcast personalities to even a formal, former U.S. president. Bob is the author of a number of books on sales, marketing, and influence with a total book sales of well over a million copies. His book, The Go-Giver, co-authored with John David Mann itself was sold over 925,000 copies and has been translated into 28 languages. His and John's newest parable in the Go-Giver series is the Go-Giver Influencer. Bob's an advocate, supporter, and defender of the free enterprise system, believing that the amount of money one makes is directly proportional to how many people they serve. He is also an unapologetic animal fanatic and is a past member of the board of directors of Fury Friends Adoption Clinic and Ranch in his, in his hometown of Jupiter, Florida. So we're thrilled to have Bob here on the show. Okay, Bob, let's talk about uh, what it means to be a go-giver leader. In your book, The Go-Giver, you talk about key attributes that a leader must have, such as influence, adding value, mentorship. Can you tell us what a go-giver leader is and why it's so powerful. We want to hear anything that you might say about being a go-giver and the difference that it can make for, for our listeners. Sure. Well, you know, the, the basic premise of the go-giver and all the books in the series is simply that shifting your focus, and this is really the key, shifting your focus from getting to giving. And when we say giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing immense value uh, to others, understanding that not only is that a nice way to, uh, you know, conduct business, to live life, to to lead, it's also the most profitable way as well. And when we say profitable, that could be financially, or it could be in having a happier relationship and having a, a uh, having a better um, relationship with those you lead. Because what it really comes down to when we're talking about a, a go-giver leader, if you will, it's that leader who who can move from what we call an I focus or me focus to an other focus. In other words, understanding that when it comes right down to it, uh, great leadership is not about the leader. 
uh, it's about those you lead and, and bringing value to them in a way that they understand it to be a value. Thank you, Bob. I love how you also ended that with how they understand it. Can you dive into that a little more for us? Um, because you're obviously talking about the recipient, mm-hmm. the other, as you, as you just called it. Can you talk a little bit about how we become sensitive to them and others so we add that immense value? Well, you know, you just asked a, a wonderful question. Because when we talk about and that, you know, an ongoing theme within the go-giver is value. In fact, that's one of the, the first, that's the first of the five laws, the laws of value. And we say, and this is in the business sense, in the entrepreneurial sense, uh, your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. And it's very easy to misconstrue that uh, because it, you know, how do you give more in, in value than you take in payment without going bankrupt, right? It sounds like you're giving more than you're getting or receiving. And that's not really the case. What we need to do is understand the difference between price and value. Okay. So again, in the business sense, uh, business context, price is a dollar figure. It's a dollar amount. It's finite. It is what it is. Value, on the other hand, is the relative worth or desirability of a thing, of something to the end user or beholder. In other words, what is it about this thing, this product, service, concept, idea that brings so much worth or value to another person that they will willingly exchange their money for it and be glad they did while you make a healthy profit? Very quick example, again, in the business context would be the accountant who you hire to do your taxes. Uh, she charges you $1,000, that's her fee or her price. But what's the value that she gives you? Well, she saves you $5,000 in taxes. She saves you countless hours of time. She provides you and your family with the peace of mind and security of knowing it was done correctly. So we see that while uh, that what she did is she gave well over $5,000 in value in exchange for a $1,000 fee or price. So you feel great about it, but she also made a very, very healthy profit. Now, in relation to leadership, it means that the value you're providing another person, this person who is, uh, let's say, on your team, who you are leading, you are providing them an immense amount of value, which elicits their wanting to follow you, but, but here's the thing, and this is so important, and this is the answer to your question. How do you know? How do you know uh, what this other person finds to be of value? Because remember, Dale Carnegie in his classic, How to Win Friends and Influence People wrote, and I believe that this is the underlying premise of his entire book. It's where he wrote, ultimately, people do things for their reasons, not our reasons. So the great leader is ask, asks themselves questions in order to, to understand what the other person values. In other words, how does what I'm asking this person to do, how does it align with their goals, with their wants, with their needs, with their desires? How does what I want this other person to do uh, align with uh, their values? What problems is it, am I helping them to overcome? How am I making their life better? 
And really, when we asked ourselves these questions, we really realized that we don't know unless we ask. And we need to ask those questions. And then we need to listen, not in order to, you know, come back with another statement or to, to, see, to ask ourselves, well, how can we fit what this person's answer is into our, doing our will? No, no. It's answering these questions so we truly understand what motivates this person. What is this person looking to accomplish? And how do I lead in such a way that I help, the, that I help them to accomplish their goals while we, while we move forward the entire organization? Thank you, Bob. Yeah, you're describing a complete mind shift there from, you know, the, the I and the me to the other and the we. Um, that's very powerful. And we appreciate you tying that to leadership. Um, it's, it's very insightful and it's hard. It's very hard when you have that bottom line, when you have your own goals that you know you're hired to run the company or you're hired to run the school. Um, so obviously you have the leadership, you know, ideas, but getting everyone behind them and meeting their needs so they best serve um, is a tough thing to do and really requires this mind shift you're describing. And, you know, and, and that's why the, the, the best leader, this is what they do. I mean, you know, this isn't something that John David Mann, my fantastic co-author and I made up. This is something that we've, we've had the opportunity to observe and to live and to, to see. And, and while again, it is counterintuitive, certainly, I mean, it's the very opposite of command and control, but then you look at people like, uh, um, uh, Captain, uh, or, uh, goodness, I can't remember his title, but it's David Marquette, Admiral, David Marquet, who, who uh, wrote the great book, Turn the Ship Around, who, who took over the, the worst performing, on record, worst performing submarine, nuclear submarine in the United States Navy, where it was very command and control and very disheartening and very uh, and, uh, disempowering, and he turned it around. How? Because he, he gave leadership, right? He, he, he helped people have a vision. He helped people understand that they were powerful and that they had what it took. And he changed the entire attitude of the ship. And, you know, I, I was uh, listening or watching one of your blogs at the Schoolhouse 302, and you were doing a, uh, you were doing a review of some of my colleague John Gordon's wonderful, wonderful books. And, you know, John talks about a positive attitude and, and no complaining and how, and that's a choice. And John and I once talked, and I interviewed John on my, on my uh, podcast, and, you know, we both discussed the fact that he and I are not naturally positive people. It's something that we had to both train ourselves to be. And, and that's important to know because we're not stuck with our, our current situation and our current attitude. We have a choice. And as the leader, uh, our, our mission really is to allow people to understand that there's a choice and that the choice is theirs and that there's one that's gonna really work out for them in a very uh, positive way. I will definitely refer to turn the ship around in our, our show notes. And you really hit on something powerful um, which is, I think, self-development and leads right into our, our One Thing series leadership questions, because this is about individual growth and maturity. 
Um, if you wouldn't mind, Bob, who's one person or group that you follow for either knowledge or inspiration and where could we find them? Well, you know, there's a, there's, there's a number of them. There's so many, I hate to even leave anyone out, but there's a man <laughs> by the name of Dan Rockwell who goes by leadership freak. And that's his handle on Twitter, uh, leadership freak and at leadership freak. And he, I think he, he blogs, I think every single day, actually. And he's been doing this for years and he is an amazing teacher and practitioner of, of leadership. Uh, and I think his, his blog at one point or maybe still is, was the most read in every civilized country. And, and I think some countries that aren't even that civilized, <laughs> you know, I mean, they very, very well, uh, well read. And, and I would say that he is, he's someone who I do not miss his posts. That's great. We um we follow him on Twitter, and ah, we will good. definitely link back to his work. His his Twitter um, feed is really inspirational. We know a lot of people who follow him. Can you tell us one reason why? Like, if if a listener's thinking, well, why would I follow um, Dan Rockwell too? What what would you say is the reason why you find value in in him as somebody to follow? Well, his first of all, his thoughts and ideas and his wisdom is just just over the moon. Okay, so so that's one reason. But he also has a very kind, giving, caring heart, and it, it comes through. And, uh, I, you know, I just think there's so much we can learn just by tapping into to not only what he is, but, but not only what he does, rather, but really who he is. And I'll just tell you a very quick story. I was, I was uh, doing a program in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania for Tracy Jones, daughter of the late great Charlie Tremendous Jones. And this was one, one of my books, um, uh, Adversaries Into Allies had just come out. And I was doing a program, Dan actually drove all the way up from Williamsport, uh, Pennsylvania to, to attend. And uh, I had introduced Dan and, and, and he had stood up and there were a lot of people there. Afterwards, I, I'm walking around and I see Dan counseling two people who had come over to him and had asked him for his advice and counsel. Here's a guy, very highly paid, very sought after all over the world. And he's taking time to just counsel two people. And you could just see how much his heart was in it and how much they appreciated it. And that's, that's part of the reason why I am a, a huge fan <laughs> of dance. That's great. That's a great story. Thank you for that. And again, we'll link back so that our listeners can follow his work and um, check out his blog. Um, leads us to what's the one thing that people should try to do on a regular basis that might make the difference in, in their day or life? I think looking for a way to improve a certain aspect of yours that needs to be improved. And let me explain what I mean, if I may. Uh, through my first, I'd say, 35 years, um, I really had a bad attitude about a lot of things. I saw the world in a very negative way. I had certain very bad character traits. I, I gossiped and I listened to gossip and I, um, I did not live in, in gratitude. And you know, there are things I did right, but there were, there were some character traits, some real flaws that I needed to improve. Well, Tracy Jones, who I just mentioned, her dad, Charlie Trebendis Jones, at one point, sent me a book. It was a book by Benjamin Franklin called The Autobiography, 
which to me is one of the most immense wisdom-filled books I've ever read uh, throughout the entire book. Uh, one chapter in particular, what he called the 13 virtues, was a self-improvement course that he put himself through uh, because, of course, back then there weren't any self-improvement courses, so he was an inventor, right? He invented one. And what he did is he chose 13 traits that he needed to work on that he felt were keeping him from, from uh, making his best contribution to the world and, and being successful and, and being happy, which when it comes right down to it, you know, the pursuit of happiness is a core uh, value. And what he did is he would work on, he would focus intently on one of those traits for one week. Then he'd move on to trait number two, trait number three. He'd complete all 13 weeks. Then he'd repeat the process. <clears throat> now, 13 times four are 52, which meant by the end of one year, he had an opportunity to go through each one of those character traits four times with a complete laser focus on them for a week. And at the end, it, well, I'll just tell you, I did the same thing. Many of the traits I used were the same as, as Ben's. I thought, well, if Ben did it, probably a pretty good idea. And some of them were ones that were, that were mine specifically. And that made perhaps the biggest difference in my life overall of anything else I've, I've ever done. So I would say that if we can, if we can continue to work on, the, on the, the character traits that we need to turn into strengths, that's very important. We've featured that, Bob, a few times in <clears throat> leadership sessions that TJ and I have done. We could not agree with you more. Um, it's powerful. And, you know, I think now it's even an open education resource. You can just go online and pull that anywhere. It's a must. And I agree with you so much in the sense that we often try to do too much at one time. And there's wisdom even in, in uh, Benjamin Franklin's approach. You know, we'll set goals and then next thing you know, we have five to 10 to 15 goals. And it's way too much. But it's this systematic approach um, is so valuable. A follow-up to that, knowing your success, <clears throat> excuse me, knowing your success, knowing what you've achieved, even from a professional level now, Bob, to really um, this, this personal growth. Um, what's one thing you want to know or be able to do that you don't already? Hmm, that's a, an excellent question. I'm not sure that there's, there's, one thing that I have zero knowledge about now that I would want to have knowledge about, I guess if I don't know, then I, I wouldn't know what it is, but <laughs> I can say there are many things that I would like to be much more proficient in than I am now. Uh, example, I'm constantly and consistently studying human nature. I read everything I can get on the topic. I listen to everything that I, I observe people. I constantly study this. And the more I learn about human nature, the more I need to learn. Because there's so much that still befuddles me. Uh, you know? And when, when, when asking a question, why did that person do that thing that was so obviously counterproductive both to them and to some, you know, and there's a certain point, you, you, you know on a, a logical basis or a rational basis because you've studied it enough. And then sometimes you've also got to say to yourself, well, it's like the great Jim Rohn used to say, it's one of those mysteries of life. And I'm, I'm okay to say it's a mystery of life, but I'm never fully satisfied with that. I really want to know. 
And so that's fantastic. Wanted to know about human nature and other aspects of leadership. And so what's, what's one thing that, that leads to or continues to support your growth as a leader that others can replicate? And in, in other words, as a follow-up to that, like as you go about learning about human nature, how do you support your own growth with that? And in other cases where you want to learn something explicitly? Oh, I'm constantly reading. And while I'll also listen to podcasts and, and, and look online for videos and so forth, my reading is the way, and, and so but reading is the way I really learn uh, because I can do it at my own pace and I can, I can read over and over. I take lots of notes. I can go back and study it. And then when there's someone who I believe can help me to understand it further, I'll, I'll talk to them and, and uh, you know, discuss back and forth. So I would say it begins with with reading uh, and then asking a lot of questions and being in a lot of back and forth discussion. Uh, one thing we we on our blog have a read this series. We feature great works each month, really try to put out authors that some people may not know of um, <clears throat> that may have a huge impact. Some responses we've received and had had great dialogue on is how to turn that knowledge into action. You know, you read, but you have to do something with it. Do you use a particular strategy um, or have you struggled with that yourself? Or how do you ensure that if you're, if you're really, you know, going through uh, different works, turning that into something that makes a difference in your life? Well, this was really one reason, and I, I love, love that you hit on that. Um, it, it's one reason John and I, in the original Go-Giver story, had Pindar, the mentor, tell Joe, the protege, that the, the one condition, if you will, for mentorship was that Joe had to take each law that he learned and apply it that day before he went to sleep at night. He didn't have to apply it perfectly. He didn't even have to apply it particularly good, which he didn't a couple times, but he had to apply it because taking action is so very important. Uh, we can have the greatest thoughts, the best ideas, the most wonderful of intent, but without action put into the mix, nothing can happen. So I, I think it's, it's really, it's a decision. And I think one thing that can be intimidating about it is we know that when we first learn something and then first apply it, we're just not going to be that good at it necessarily. Uh, and so I always loved what Zig Ziglar said and that amazing way he had of turning a phrase uh, when he said that, that, um, the, that, that anything worth doing is worth doing poorly before being able to do it well. And he certainly didn't mean to do something haphazardly. He didn't mean to do something in a way that he didn't care or that was sloppy. No, of course not. What he meant was just go out there and apply the information. Go out there and do the thing, understanding that the first time you do it, you're certainly you know, not going to be as good as, as you are later on through repetition and through, through, um, through uh, uh, repeated action and, and, doing it over and over and over and over again. So, um, yeah, so I think it's really a decision to just to take action. Sometimes it's really as simple as that. It's not overthinking it. It's just going out and doing it. 
Powerful advice. Thank you, Bob. Love that. Apply it that day. Don't put your head on the pillow until you try it. That leads us to our final question. What's one thing that you used to think that you don't think anymore? <laughs> you know, that this might be the easiest one. Of all the great questions you asked me that I found myself really having to think it through, this one's the easiest one. It, 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 because it makes me go back to when I was uh, 18, 19, 20 years old, probably up to the time I was 23, 24, 25 years old. And people often ask me, what's the, you know, that one piece of advice, if you could go back to your younger self of that age that you would give. And I know that what it would be is, is, is young Bob Berg. And by the way, I, I, ne I never used the word shut up. It wasn't allowed to be said in my family growing up, but, it, but I'm gonna say it here. It would be young Bob Berg, shut up and listen more because you think you know how things are, but you really don't. <laughs> because I was pretty sure I had it figured out at a very young age. I thought I understood people. I thought I understood life. I thought I understood the way things worked. And I, I didn't. And you know, there's, a, there's an old saying that's attributed to Mark Twain, but it, there's no evidence he ever actually said it, that when something's wise, it's often attributed to either Mark Twain or Benjamin Franklin, of course, <laughs> but and for good reason, they were both such wise men. But, but the saying attributed to Mark Twain was that uh, it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble, it's what you're absolutely positively sure you do know that just ain't so. And, and that was me when I was younger. And it was only at the point that I decided that I didn't know it all and, and that I needed to be a student and learn, that's the point where things started to, to happen. Well, that's awesome, Bob. I, I just, I love that way you ended that with the one thing that you used to think that you don't anymore because so many of us can fall into that trap. And I also just read an Adam Grant quote today, just today that said, a sign of wisdom is not believing everything you think. So uh, it's not just opening your ears, but also just opening your mind. Yes, absolutely. So that was fantastic. That was our last question. Lots of simplicity here. Strategies for anyone listening. That's the key. We always say leadership might be complex, but it doesn't have to be complicated. Bob, is there anything else that you would like to add for today's listeners? You know, there's a, I learned something very important back when I was in sales. I was probably two years into it. I had learned, I had studied, I'd become a decent salesperson. Uh, and, I, and I know this is about leadership, but salesmanship is also leadership, right? And, um, and about two years into it, I was, I was doing okay, but not, I was not where I should have been. And I remember coming back to, my, to the office one day, I was selling for a, uh, another company at the time, and uh, I must have looked pretty disgusted with myself. And uh, the, the, one of the older men there, when I say older, probably my age now, right? But back then as a, a young kid, I looked at him and he, he was a much, a much older guy, but, but he was one of these people, he didn't say much, but, but whenever he did speak, he, 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 it was always profound <laughs> and he wasn't even in the sales department. I think he was in the engineering department or something that was not even in, in sales. But he said to me, Berg, can I give you some advice? Because see, I think he saw me as, as someone like Joe in the story, in The Go-Giver. Someone who had potential, but whose focus was totally not in the right place. And he said, he said can I give you some, some, a suggestion? Can I give you some advice? I said, absolutely, please do. And he said, if you want to make a lot of money in sales, he said, 
don't have making money as your target. Your target is serving others. Now, when you hit the target, he said, you'll get a reward. And that reward will come in the form of money. And you can do with that money whatever you choose. But never forget, the money is simply the reward for hitting the target. It ain't the target itself. Your target is serving others. And you know, whether we're in sales directly or we're in, a, in leadership, which also is just as sales as leadership, leadership is sales. And, and I think that when we can, can move our focus off of ourselves and on to those who we're trying to serve, when we make that the target, service, then we're nine steps ahead of the game in a 10-step game. Wow. That was an awesome way to end. There you have it. Another great podcast. Don't forget to follow our blog at theschoolhouse302.com for blog posts, podcasts, challenges, video blogs, always on the topic of leadership. And we hope you enjoyed our One Thing series on being your best self as a go-giver for the people you serve and so much more. Thank you, Bob, for being on the show today. It was fantastic. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.